who's wanted to have your own podcast, but you just didn't know where to start. I know that it used to be me until I uh, was told about Anchor.fm. Anchor FM is one of the best podcasting platforms out there because it's free. They help you with distribution, getting onto all the various podcasting platforms. They have tools for editing and for creating all the podcasts. Uh, and they even have monetization tools. It's a really, really great app and website. I highly recommend it. If you want to get your own podcast going, go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I can't recommend them highly enough. So download that free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm so you can get started making your own podcast. You start blossoming like a flower, changing every single day. Like you compare the, the kid that was there in uh, five years, uh, uh, 10 years ago, and then you look at that person uh, after around 10 or, you know, after a few years, because they are exposed also not just to material stuff, but to love. You know, they are surrounded with people that they love. Love can do miracles. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do in this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our chaotic world so that you can face the confusion and chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. One of the most confusing parts of life and difficult parts of our world that has been uh, a part of the world for all of human history is the issue of poverty and what we do about uh, about uh, cyclical poverty or uh, cases of extreme poverty that we see around the world or even uh, those who are in poverty around us. There's an organization that's doing excellent work in the area of alleviating poverty and pulling people out of the cycle of poverty, and that is the organization Compassion International. Maybe you've heard of them before, or maybe this is going to be new for you, but I've got a real treat for you today because we're going to be talking about the work that Compassion International does, but we're going to be talking about it with someone who is uh, an alumnus of the Compassion International program and who now works with Compassion. His name is uh, David Wangaka. David is passionate about understanding and alleviating social injustices, advocating for the vulnerable, and eradicating extreme poverty. His story is a beautiful picture of full circle redemption. This man who dedicated, who has dedicated his life for at-risk children was once an at-risk child himself. Raised in the shadow of Mount Kilimanjaro, Kenya, David knows all too well the challenges of extreme poverty, the vitality, uh, volatility, of an alcoholic father and the grief of losing his mother at a young age. When he was sponsored in his Compassion's child development program at 10 years old, the healthcare, education, and nutrition he received changed his life significantly. After high school, David was invited to participate in Compassion's leadership development program. This made it possible for him to pursue a college education graduating from the University of Nairobi with a double major in political science and sociology. He has an MBA from Louisiana State University in Shreveport. David works at Compassion International as a sponsor and donations uh, relations supervisor. He lives in Porterville, California with his wife, uh, Shondell, and their three sons, Shalom, Amani, and David Jr. I had a really great time getting to talk with David today uh, about his story, about the work that Compassion International does, what separates them uh, from others who are doing similar kind of work, and also get to talk about some of the uh, uh, political and social issues around uh, poverty, trying to alleviate poverty, the breakdown of the family that goes along with that so often, or is at least connected. Uh, we went to a wide range of topics and it, it was really great. David has such an awesome story. I really enjoyed getting to talk to him in this episode today. Uh, I would really encourage you, if you are not already, to consider sponsoring compassion, uh, sponsoring a child through compassion after listening to today's episode. I have a link in the show notes that you can use uh, to go to compassion and start up your child sponsorship today. Uh, it is going to be cintl.org slash Aaron Champ. If you use that link, then it just lets you lets compassion know that you listen to our show and that uh, and that we sent you over there. Uh, we don't get any kind of kickback or anything from that. It's just uh, our unique link to use. But if you use that link, you can go and sign up to sponsor somebody 
through compassion if you decide to today after listening to David's story. Uh, maybe you're already sponsoring somebody, but if you look at your budget, you realize that you can be a little bit more generous than you're already being. And so you want to decide to sponsor another child through compassion. And I would absolutely recommend that. So look in the description of this video uh, on YouTube, or if you're listening on uh podcast, then you can look in the description there. I'll have the link there, but I'll also have it in the full show notes. So use that to go to Compassion and uh, sign up to become a sponsor of a child through their program. Also, if you have not yet already, consider subscribing to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss out on any future episodes uh, or great content that we have planned for you. Well, without any further delay, let's get uh, let's jump into this great conversation that I got to have with David Wangaka. David, welcome to the podcast. I uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron, for having me today. Well, thank I really you. appreciate you making the time to join us on the show today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, you, you and I were talking before we started the recording, and I shared how uh, I had already gotten to. Uh, not not so much meet you, but get to hear your story a little bit and uh, get to know you some over a Zoom call that I was on with uh, a few other church leaders uh, back in October. And uh, and ever since then, I've been wanting to get to do something like this with you on the podcast. So once again, man, I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I've been looking forward since uh, your invitation uh, so that we can kind of have a conversation about uh, the worldview of what Christianity is all about and uh, uh, in perspective with poverty and what we are supposed to be doing and what's your our mission, what God is calling us. Yeah, and I'm excited to have this conversation that uh, that we'll be having today and I hope uh, it, it's, it's going to have an impact to so many people. Me, yeah, I, I hope so as well, and I and I think it will. Uh, start off by telling us before we get into your story. Uh, tell us about what you do for Compassion because you actually you're on staff with Compassion yes. International. So, what is your job? So, I would like to start probably from the a little bit from the beginning. Um, I I joined Compassion uh, in 2015. Uh, and it was in the Department of Sponsor and Donor Relations. This is where we help sponsors. It's mostly as a contact center uh, of some sort, uh, but it has grown so much uh, over the years as we continue growing as an organization. And so right now I, I lead a team of uh, representatives all over across the United States in different states. Uh, most of them are, uh, some of them are in Hawaii, some are here, some in Texas. And so it's, it's something that God has really blessed us. So we are able to retain uh, great talent that can serve our, our supporters uh, and, and give them great services all over the United States. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And so you are, your journey in compassion, though, didn't just start in 2015, right? Absolutely. Uh, your journey in compassion started much, much earlier than that. So let's just start about. Uh, we're talking about your story. Tell us, uh, you're originally from Kenya and you were born into poverty and it's through, uh, and it was through the, the, the story that you got involved with compassion. Let's just start with the beginning. Tell us about your story and being, uh, and in the situation that you were born into, uh, back in Kenya. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was born in Kenya in a small village. Um, and then I was raised near Mount Kilimanjaro, a place called Aloitoktok. Uh, it's in the Maasai land. We call it the Maasai land because that's where the Maasai tribe, most of them come from or they live there. Um, I come from a family of five. I have two brothers and two sisters. And uh, growing up, uh, we really did not have a lot. Uh, actually, my mom at some point, uh, you know, had to raise us, uh, the five kids, all by herself for quite some time. And um, I remember she would only earn probably $1 a day. Um, and that's what we depended on to pay for uh, rent, food, uh, basic needs. And so mm -hmm. the priority for her at that time was uh, just to live in a small uh, shanty house, uh, mm. probably a 12 by 10 square feet. Um, we didn't have beds. We didn't have you know, running water or anything. Mm -hmm. but, so uh, how big was the town that you're from? Like uh, the, the town that I grew up in, mm -hmm. 
it was a, it was a very small town. Very small um, town. Yes, because twenty around twenty years ago, yeah, if I can remember, twenty twenty five years ago, yeah, it it had not grown as it has it had not actually developed as it has today, uh, because actually traveling from the capital city Nairobi to that place would sometimes when it rains it would take up to three days to get there wow um and on a normal day it would take about 10 hours to get there so hmm. yeah it was just uh, in the outcast in the village <laughs> very much away from 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 from, uh, from the big city the capital city yeah so a very small village you grew up in and you said in yes. a, like a 12 by 10 foot uh shanty house I, explain yes. to us just for any listeners who don't understand what, is yes. that, what, what do you mean by that? What is a shanty house? So this, so for example, when when you think about um, a normal structure where there is bricks and uh, you know there is nice, good roofing, uh, this is something that has almost been patched with iron sheet or tin. Um, so just something that has just been made to come together. Just it's almost like a homeless shelter, you per se, but much better but it's something that when you see it you you wouldn't believe someone can live there because it's so small so imagine um imagine your bedroom you know the size of your bedroom five people living six people actually living in the same room so that's the living room that's the that's that's everything there's no toilet inside there's no bathroom inside so everything is outside um so when you describe poverty from a perspective of a of, of a different person that has never seen that, I think that's the best I would do to try and and let you know how uncomfortable it is to live all together six people in a very small place. Um, there's no privacy because everything is divided in you know curtains. Um, yeah, so <laughs> wow. so that's how yeah that's how I would, I would probably be able to describe it. But when you you when you Google places like you know slums um some of the biggest slums in the world like the kibera or uh, slums in kenya or the other slums in south africa you can kind of tell what what really how those shelters look like or those houses okay yeah gotcha so there's so there is five of you there yes. uh, of your family living uh in a rented shanty house yes wow okay and so, and your mother was making one dollar a day to yes. to support the whole family. Absolutely. Wow. And actually, sometimes it would be less than one dollar, to be honest. Um, so, so that was just the average. Yes, that would be average. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, mostly we would depend on her uh, bringing food uh, from the restaurant, a small restaurant she used to work from, uh, mm -hmm. and so in the evening she would bring something that we would share. Um, like cookies, uh, we call them mandazi in Kenya. It's just like uh, almost like a cookie dough, um, and that's what we would share. She would come late, so sometimes you know she would work the whole day uh, for more than twelve hours. Um, mm. So you can imagine during the day that means you really don't have food. If if you go to school and they are not having any food, then you would starve that day, and you would wait until you go home in the evening or at lunchtime. Only to find actually there is still no food. So the only option that you would do at that time is to go to the street and find something you could eat after school. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so and so that was a part of your daily experience. Absolutely. Right? Or, uh, or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Growing up uh, around six years old, uh, seven years old, that was my daily uh, routine. Uh, that's what I knew what life was. That, that's what I, I thought that's how life is supposed to be. So I actually did not know any difference at that time because uh, we were not actually alone. There were also other families in our the same situation that we were in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you and your siblings, this is something that each one of you would do or did you guys, um, you know, was there like, was it was it working together to, to, to find food for one another, or was it just each of you just, you, you found what you could, um, you know, so how did it work for, for you and your siblings until your mother would get home yeah. to give whatever she could provide? 
Sometimes we would do it together. Uh, we really didn't have a plan for every day. Sometimes we would do it together and sometimes we would do it uh, separately, like mm-hmm. depending on whoever, f- the friend that you have and wherever they are going to find uh, something they can eat. Some of us would go to the marketplace uh, and uh, others would go to a dumpster. So it depends with whatever you feel like you would get something to eat. Um, yeah. Sometimes we would even go and uh, get like the leftovers at the hospitals, really, uh, which is even much dangerous. Yeah, even more dangerous. Even more dangerous, absolutely. Really? Okay. What makes that more dangerous? So when you think going to a hospital, especially a hospital uh, in a, in a village, uh, you are not thinking of an international hospital. You know, you're just thinking about uh, you're. you're thinking about sanitary you know like it's not as organized as we know hospitals here in the united states Mm -hmm. um it's a hospital where like you're going to eat food from a sick person who was not able to finish their food so -hmm. whatever they had Mm -hmm. they might transfer to you easily okay but but poverty and, and and starvation sometimes can push you to the edge. Sometimes you are, it's almost like you take risk for you to survive. So when you're in that survival mode, it doesn't matter what how you are going to survive. You will just try and do anything and hope that God will protect you from from harm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it sounds like as even as a small child. I mean, so how old were you during the, this time period where this was daily life? I was, uh, I would say, probably from the age of three to the age of around nine. That's the life I lived. Uh, wow. For that. And so yes. this very high-risk lifestyle, yes. um, I'm sure high-risk not just from disease and pathogens, right? But yes. but but also from, I'm sure there was, uh, whenever you're a child having to, um, you know, wander the streets for food, I'm sure there are certainly many dangerous people situations yes. that you need to um be aware of yeah. uh so with this high risk with the with the uncertainty that came along with just your daily life and the 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 lack of stability security mm-hmm. um and, and and then along with and then the poverty just <laughs> on top of all of that right uh, yes. how did this affect you as a child growing up and and what i mean is how did it affect you in terms of how you saw yourself in the world psychologically spiritually yeah, I, I think psychologically, I would uh, I would think of myself as you know useless, like you know some someone that is not really value, valued. You know, when you live in extreme poverty like that, uh, you don't even value yourself unless someone tries to change your mindset. So when you live in a in a specific mindset, because poverty is is mostly a mindset where unless that mindset is broken somehow, it's very hard to get out of it. And not just poverty, even other social impact. Uh, But specifically for for poverty is what I I would talk about because that's what I have really experienced myself growing up. Um, And so when you live in a society where everyone is the same, um, you feel like you cannot come out of it. Uh, you feel like you have no role model who has made it. You you don't have anyone you can look up to, especially if you are born in a family where that has been like the cycle. You mm-hmm. know, when you're, you are in a community that, that has been a cycle, you know, like no one can you, you can look up to. You only see people on TV that have made it and no one in your community you can say uh, that person... Um, you know, made it, I think I also have a, an opportunity here or a shot. So when it comes to things like, you know, security and child protection, I, I never grew up knowing anything to do with child protection. And that's why sometimes it's very, you hear that vulnerable children, the, the most vulnerable people are children and, you know, and women, especially young women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, whenever there is war, uh, whenever there's something or political instability those are the most vulnerable people um and so sometimes when you are living in extreme poverty it's the same thing like you are so vulnerable that anything can happen to you any anyone can take advantage of you 
because you feel like you have no protection and you have no hope, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so feelings of uselessness, like you were talking about, uh, I'm sure along with that comes uh, the hopelessness, like you mentioned, um, because you look at your family and you say, well, this is how uh, we have been for generations or you look around Mm -hmm. at your community and no one else is different except for the people on TV. And so it makes you feel like where it will, what opportunity or hope is there for me? Uh, and now I'm sure along with that too, uh, you had to have dealt with a degree of anxiety, mm-hmm. right? A- a- anxiety or just, just, just worry. Maybe, uh, I mean, what about trust, trust in just in, in people, um, as a child trust in, uh, in, in older people and authority figures. Mm-hmm. I'm um, sure that had to have been a struggle as well. Absolutely. Mostly, the the people that you would trust mostly would be people closest to you, maybe family member, especially if you have a parent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like mostly your mom. Uh, and sometimes you wouldn't trust um, anyone because of like what I mentioned about people can take advantage of you anytime mm. uh, because of your vulnerability. So that was mm. a, that 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 was an issue. Uh, but sometimes because poverty can take you to a point where it you are you are so miserable and so hopeless that you can just decide to trust anyone. And that's how people are taken advantage of. Because you can just be like, you know what, it's all about risking. You're like, let me just risk and trust this person that this person is is good or this process or this situation is okay or the promise I have, it's okay. Yeah, so also even when you're going to school the teachers uh most of them were very very good actually uh especially the one that were born again there are some teachers when i was growing up i will never forget that actually introduced me to 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 to, to the life of christ and uh, we would come in the morning in school and they would help us sing and praise god and pray and read the bible and that's how i actually started feeling like oh I think God exists. Um, yeah, I trusted my teachers uh, more than the people I was living with in the community. Yeah. So I want to continue talking about your story because you know, so far we've only covered your your early childhood. Yes. Uh, but before we get into that, let me let me ask you one more thing, uh, yes. just related to to poverty, and then you know, just and along with your experience. Yes. Um, you talked about the the generational cycles that. Uh, that people can get stuck into in families yes. or communities uh, in, in poverty. What do you mm-hmm. think are some of the uh, contributing factors to uh, to generational poverty that that families or communities can get stuck into? Uh, it, it, what what causes that um, that that cycle, right, and the inability yeah. to to break out of it? I mean, I'm sure I know that's a big question. Yeah. Uh, but just in your experience, what do you think it is that uh, yeah. that causes that? What are some of the contributing factors? Yeah, I think uh, I would say uh, social inequality or economic uh, inequality, uh, and uh, something that maybe opportunities. Uh, because you find out, like, if you come from a rich family or if you come from a wealthy family. Everyone in that family will have some kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, the other factor is injustices, you know, and uh, even I would say <laughs> selfishness, you know, and jealousy, jealous, because there are people that wouldn't want you to come. There's some kind of competition. Some people wouldn't want to, you to come out of that poverty so that you can continue depending on them. Or you, they can continue suppressing you, uh, or using you, or you know taking advantage of you because you are hopeless. So those generational curses. So, for example, or generational poverty. So, for example, if if let's say if your grandpa or people that were born long time ago, I would take an an example of Kenya, my country. Mm-hmm. Whoever was there in the 1960s 1950s or 40s or when before we got independent whoever was in the government by then 
and they were able to get wealthy uh, during that time up to today they still have that wealth because it's it's passed on to a diff- another generation and so it continues like that if we have a family that loved God, a grandmother or grandfather who was serving Jesus and uh, was passionate about the life of Christ. They passed that to their families and families and families and generation. The same happens when you are in extreme poverty. If it didn't start long time ago, it's so hard to break it because that's what people are exposed to. So it continues. So it goes by uh, that injustices uh, where People want to take advantage of you. It's even impacted by uh, political, political instability, um, and even political aspect of the country, where uh, most people that are, you know, in, in political uh, seats, they even take advantage of, uh, you know, poor people. Actually, the most people that actually <laughs> vote is people who are not extremely rich, you know, the people that would go and line up in most of the most developing countries, um, they would line up and vote someone for, you know, you line up for hours and vote someone who had promised that they are going to do something, but yet they don't do it. And that community still continue living in poverty. So the other thing uh, that I believe that causes this generation uh, poverty is uh, tribalism, because uh, when when you think about a, a tribe, most most countries, especially when we go to the African continent, even here in the United States, every country has some kind of a tribe, uh, and a tribe is people that you know they have the same um, uh, ethnicity and that kind of stuff. So, like for example, here in the United States, you can think about Caucasian, uh, you can think about African Americans, you can think about uh, Latinos, and that kind of stuff. Even in other countries, when growing up, we had that. We had uh, different tribes. And so the reason I'm saying this is because when you think about uh, when it comes to, I wanted to tie this to politics. Uh, When you think about politics, uh, some bigger tribes will actually vote their people. Uh, And so that's one form of some kind of injustice to other smaller tribes. That means you'll find out that tribe has more advantage when it comes to businesses. It has more advantages when it comes to other things um, that help you be able to survive in in, in the world of chaos and even during this kind of pandemic and that kind of stuff. So with that, because of uh, it's the, because of political advantages of those bigger tribes, um, if the smallest tribes are in poverty, they don't even get the government resources as easily as these others. And mm-hmm. uh, there are so many, so many examples out there. Even whoever will be watching or listening to this, they they can tell. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where if there is a smaller tribe somewhere, it's very hard for them to reach out to that to that. To, to that uh, resource uh, provided by the government. Uh, and so that's one of the reason, common reason in a bigger picture, uh, in, a, in a higher level of how poverty continues being in a community or in a specific family or in a specific community. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think th- those are things that, um, that we that if you were born in a very prosperous area or, or country like uh, like the United States, it can be easy to overlook. Um, yes. And and especially it, it can be really easy to take for granted uh, wherever you weren't born into that cycle of poverty, like you're talking about yes. and to forget that you have, that you, that you, in other words, stand upon the, uh, the fruit of generations that, that came before you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and continue to tell us more about your story. Uh, so in a small village, family, living together, uh, very insecure situation, you know, mother working as much as she could. Uh, continue to tell us your story, kind of where we had left off earlier. Absolutely. So um, so living in that situation I was talking about um, where 
you wake up in the morning and you don't know how the day is gonna look like <laughs> yeah. um and uh you try to survive you know you're walking going to school probably you don't even have uh, shoes on your feet and you come back home they you know there's no means of survival um i started living in fear as you mentioned previously about living in uh, in uh, some kind of uh, anxiety because you don't really know what will happen for example if you've witnessed a friend of yours uh you know dying of maybe a curable disease sometimes there would be there would be like a cholera outbreak or typhoid or malaria and you witness that or you see that or you hear that and that's that you know that's a kid that you are playing with in the village so that gives you fear of how am i going to wake up tomorrow like you are not you don't have the assurance of living tomorrow uh yeah so that that's one thing that uh, that's that's another thing that when you're in that hopelessness kind of living that that's what you know it would be in your mind sometimes yeah. uh, or fear of even I, am i even going to wake up tonight yeah and so yeah. what started to change things in your life so what changed thing in my life was uh i was introduced to this organization called compassion international uh and i remember i joined compassion I really did not know about compassion that well. I knew ab about other organizations. Um and then so when I joined compassion this uh, was uh, around 1994. Um you know I came to this big church. You know it, the name of the church was uh, it was just the title uh, the name of the church deliverance church but there was no compassion sign there that would tell me this is the where the office of compassion is located or there is a compassion center here so all i i saw was children running around playing soccer um having so much fun and then when i joined uh one thing i realized is that you know people the kids would sing and you know we would sit down we would memorize bible verses we would read about the word of god um like that was a mandatory to come every it was required every saturday when we come together you have to recite a memory verse of what you learned last week and so the word of god was introducing to me like that a uh, deeper in a deeper level and that started changing my perspective about life i actually even realized wait a minute poverty can be actually a different thing it's not just a lack of food it's not just lack of nice clothes it's actually even lack of that spiritual uh, knowledge or just because you can have everything in this world but it's 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 vanity you know you yeah. you won't if you die you won't you won't go with it what about the eternal life so I, i when i was introduced to that eternal life i realized wait a minute actually the suffering in this world is just temporarily this happiness after this and so when they kept talking about such things that actually gave me so much hope so hope started coming back in my life um and i started serving in 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 our church so that started changing my perspective it changed my the 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 mental uh, poverty uh thinking you know the 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 inferiority complex that's brought by extreme hopelessness and uh and, and lack of confidence so because you know the the, the people that we met there the staff of compassion would you know you would give you so much courage would keep talking great things about you they would instill this greatness like hey you are loved you know uh they would give you they would give us sometimes uh, some kind of uh position of uh, leadership like hey uh you know help these boys your age mates so you guys are going to play soccer but i want to make sure you are going to be responsible of them wherever they are going so you are like you know 10 12 years old you know you have given that responsibility so you start becoming almost like a leader at that small age so you start changing your mind to know that oh i have to 
become responsible. I have to behave differently than these people so that I can be a leader so that they can follow me. Uh, we started reading about Moses and, and how people would follow him. Uh, we started reading about Jesus and how people would follow him. And we started realizing, okay, leadership is all about, you know, leading. It's not management, it's leading. You know, it's like people looking at you and being like, okay, let's follow this direction. Uh, and so that started changing my mind and my perspective about life, social life. So, so social poverty, it was eradicated somehow in my mind. It was, was broken, the social, the spiritual part of poverty. Because I realized, as I mentioned, poverty is not about wealth and uh, all these things that we have. That, that will come. Actually, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. And sometimes we might do it in reverse. You know, where we, we we seek those wealth and everything. Like actually when I was living in that extreme poverty, if I had the opportunity, that's what I would have done is to look for wealth because that's naturally way of doing things. That's how yeah. we are wired. That's how we are programmed. Yeah. Uh, only to realize when in the life of Christ, you seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things. Oh, will be added unto you. So once I started realizing that, I realized, oh, so I've not lost. Yes, I've lived all this suffering, but I did not really lose because let me now start seeking the kingdom of God and the other things will be added unto me. And actually my life started changing completely to the person wow. I am today. Yes. Interesting. So had your, had your material situation really changed by then? Um, in terms as, of the material poverty? Yes, absolutely. So that started changing because when I joined uh, the organization of Compassion International, uh, someone uh, from England uh, sponsored me, a family. Um, they were able to to start, you know, supporting us um, monthly. Mm -hmm. And that started changing. Uh, and at this time, during that time, um, uh, something that I missed to mention that when I was growing up, when I if I can go just a little bit uh, back mm -hmm. when I uh, when when I was living in that fear of what would happen to me, I lost my mom um, mm. uh, from a sickness, and uh, that's when we started living with uh, with uh, different relatives in our family, my grandmother. Um, and so after some time, we, we left the village and we reconciled with, uh, with our dad who had remarried by then. So life was a little bit different. It was still in extreme poverty, but everything we got from the Compassion Project of our program, I was able to share with the family. And so life started changing materially. Uh, we also changed the location from the village uh, to closer to Nairobi, where resources are much different. The poverty in the city, in a bigger city, is actually different in a village. In the village, you have you you, you can get sometimes uh, you know water from the river and that kind of stuff. In a city, you need water from a running tap, maybe outside, shared by the community and that kind of stuff. So materially, things started changing, and I also started being able to get you know good nice clean clothes from from the compassion center healthcare dental checkup um, from the compassion center you would get a food you know clean good food healthy food uh, balanced diet and so you start blossoming like a flower changing every single day like you compare the the kid that was there in uh, five years uh, uh, ten years ago and then you look at that person uh, after around 10 or, you know, after a few years, because they are exposed also not just to material stuff, but to love. You know, they are surrounded with people that they love. Love can do miracles. Love is a big deal. When you have someone who cares for you, when you have someone who actually can come and, and caring for you, it's not just, it's not just giving you stuff. It, it's even correcting you. It's mentoring you. Is telling you the truth, like, hey, I don't like your behavior. You know, is, you know, change this. You know, I don't like what you're doing here. It's about that. They care in a different, they care with love, but they also care by 
disciplining you and telling you what the right direction to take. And when you do that as a young child, as a young uh, young man, you are able to have that as a foundation in your life. That means even when you grow up, that foundation will never be shaken. That foundation will never be uh, destroyed because mm-hmm. it's actually at almost like subconscious. It's at subconscious mind. You just leave that foundation of, oh, let me make the right decision. So at the Compassion Center, they would give us the opportunities to make the right decision, um, uh, you know, based on what the word of God is. So you have those people that you can look up to, not just your parents. Actually, you have like those mentors um, in your community that can uh, encourage you and, and, and it can uh, actually at the same time discipline you at the, like by sitting down with you and uh, giving you counsel of like, hey, I did this when I was your age. And if you continue doing this, you'll get lost. Yeah. 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 So you you were receiving some uh, some material help in, in, in just the most basic forms, just clean clothing good yes. clean clothing uh, yes. uh better nutrition yeah you're talking about but the it sounds like where the real transformation and power came from along mm-hmm. with those things that are, that were necessary uh mm-hmm. was the the spiritual resources like you said seek first mm-hmm. the kingdom and how much that that transformed your life and then the yes. mentorship that yes. was provided to you with some great great leaders that were investing into you yes absolutely because i realized the material stuff um was not actually seriously a big deal because I was like, this foundation these guys are giving me will help me become independent and buy myself my material stuff, you know? So they never actually, you know, one thing about I like about uh, the program of compassion, it doesn't really actually pay more attention or put all their efforts on those material things because they know what they are doing with you, the development, how they are developing you, you'll be able to provide yourself at some point. Uh, it's yeah. all about that, giving you you that hope. It's like teaching you how to fish and actually even giving you a, a fishing pond where there is fish and you fish, you know, uh, everything so that you become uh, independent uh, because the, the, the vision and the mission was, uh, uh, you know, creating leaders to become uh, mature Christian adults. Uh, so, and, and that's what I would say was the greatest thing that I, I ever got from, you know, gained from the whole program of uh, Compassion International and that sponsorship and everything. Um, so the other hope that I got was uh, a poverty that was eradicated from my mind and from my life was the ability to go to school and uh, have an education. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the most ex- expensive uh, thing in most of African countries is education. And also, unfortunately, it's needed. Most people, that's what gives them much hope. By then, if you you had an education, you had some kind of hope that after school, I'll be able to you know, get an employment or even employ people or start a business or just have some kind of uh, analytical mindset. And uh, that's what I was, I, I, I was able to have. I was so blessed that I, I was the only person in my family, in my generation, uh, to, uh, to be able to graduate not only from high school, but actually from college. So I went to the University of Nairobi. We call it the University of Nairobi. We used to joke that there are only two universities in Kenya. There was the University of Nairobi and the rest or the others. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so <That's> great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a blessing and a, and a privilege to have that opportunity to get an education. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear that because so I've been uh, sponsoring with compassion, uh, for about 12 years now. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so as a, a compassion sponsor, uh, it's really, really great to hear about, you know, this, what is it? $38 a month, right? Yes. What is really nice to hear, like, what does it go to? And and to hear that from somebody who, who was on the other side of that, 
um, mm-hmm. to hear that like, you were, once somebody started sponsoring you, you mm-hmm. started to receive resources. You started to receive those basic needs that you were yeah. in lack of, those material things. Yes. Um, but then it was also uh, enabling uh, the ability for them to have those those workers and mentors, guides who were discipling you uh, yes. and giving you those resources, which are even richer and and even more necessary in a certain sense than the the material blessings. And so it's so great to hear that you were receiving that that you and that any you know child uh, who is sponsored by Compassion is receiving both of those. Yes. Um, what do you think it is that because there are other organizations and ministries out there, and there's there's other great ones, uh, but what do you think sets Compassion International apart in how they do what they do on the ground, whether it's in Kenya or um, or, or any other nation around the world? What sets Compassion apart? I believe when we think about when we take all the uh, organizations around the world. Uh, the reason why compassion becomes a very unique and it, you know something that sets it apart is uh, the ability for them to partner with a church. Like there has to be a church for compassion to operate in a in a country or in a community, and so it's one way of making disciples. Uh, where when you do that actually you realize just by giving people money and material stuff it's not enough so what compassion does the reason why it's very unique and very successful it looks at the holistic development of a child where you have this child who yes they need clothes but you realize that's not even more important than their future. So you invest in their future by looking at the holistic child development. So you are looking at social impact uh, of this child, the, the social poverty. Uh, you are looking at the economic, you know, that's like food and uh, those material stuff. And you're also looking at the um, spiritual aspect of that. Because even if you get all these others and spiritually you are not okay, you are still in extreme poverty. You will not make the right decision in life. You will make mm-hmm. the wrong decision sometimes. You know, if if you don't have um, a hope, even after the life after this death, it's like compassion brings this hope to even eternity, even when you leave this world, because it it introduces you to that foundation of spiritual part of uh, poverty. And when that is eradicated in your life, you realize even your family itself, they will look at you and see a different in this kid that's been sponsored. And they will also, you will also influence them to follow in uh, Christ. So I think that's the greatest uniqueness of, uh, of what, why compassion is set up, you know, apart from all the other organizations I've ever seen or I've ever even worked for, is that holistic development of a child, where the $38 that you're giving to that child, it goes way beyond what you're thinking. Because some of us think about, I, I've talked to people who would say, um, I thought you give this child that that money you give that family that money no when you do that you'll be doing it the wrong way because that money will not do anything you will keep enabling them like you will not help this family to get out of poverty because you you will not even change their mindset that they can actually do this themselves so compassion comes alongside what we do we we come alongside Programs and projects that have already existed, like those churches, they already have their own programs of eradicating poverty in that or in that community, and so we support them, and then we, they support us. So it's like a partnership, yeah. and uh, that has really it's, it has really helped because when when it's a partnership, the other person does not feel inferior. That oh, I have to you know I have to beg you. To give me no, they had already started the program already, and now we are just coming to partner with that. Yeah, so you know this savior mentality—that's the best thing about compassion because 
you can see it's not there. It's a partnership with a, with, with a local church that has already been doing it and they have resources already. And so we are just coming alongside them and helping them uh, and supporting them. So that money goes beyond what we ever thought it would do. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. That's one of the reasons that I love Compassion and that I have uh, continued to sponsor over the years and just uh, year after year grown more and more appreciative uh, and and um, and grown in admiration for what Compassion does because of that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think their their philosophy of of ministry and of uh, engaging in poverty is uh, is is absolutely excellent. And uh, and like yeah. you said at the start, I love that they. Uh, partner with local churches. Uh, I just think that's fantastic. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're not swooping in, setting up their own centers, um, you know, completely foreign to whatever local context they're in. They're going right into that yeah. community and empowering yes. the uh, the people who are already being the hands and feet of Christ in that community. Yes. And so that's really Absolutely. incredible. Absolutely. Uh, what are some things that you, now that you've been, how long have you been in America now? I've been in America for the last uh, six years now. Okay. Yes, I came here in 2000 and uh, I think this would be my seventh year, 2014 at the, at the around December, uh, November 2014. So around seven years now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think it, now that you, you've been in America several years now and, uh, and obviously even before that, I mean, you've been working uh, not just from your own experience, but also professional, if we can say professionally, right? Yeah. Uh, you've, been, you've been working with, with, with uh, alleviating poverty and so on. What do you think are some blind spots or just ways that we really think about and approach poverty in the wrong way here in the States? If you can kind of give us an, an outside observer's viewpoint. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so when I think about, when, when, when I look at uh, poverty here in the United States, uh, I know, uh, you know, per the standard of the United States, per the standard of a, an already developed world, it's a it's a very different it's a very different type of poverty here. And to be honest, the, the, the greatest poverty here in the United States, sorry to say, is the spiritual aspect. Um, and so the way we the way we do things here in the United States to try and er- eradicate the poverty that we have it might continue like that forever and forever and it will not eradicate anything because it's more of handouts. It's what I was talking about uh, when you compare to what compassion does is uh, more educational and being there and social and spiritual and that kind of stuff. But the handouts that I see we do here to try, you know, the, 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 the government projects and, uh, and policies, sometimes they do not really have a permanent permanent solution uh it makes you feel like okay um yes i'm being somehow supported by the government or i'm being supported by this policy to get out of poverty but it seems like i will depend on it forever so for example if you think about uh someone who is told um once that, once you start working and making money, you'll uh, start uh, paying uh, the, the taxes and everything. But if you don't work, I'll give you money and for to sustain you. So it's almost like uh, you know it, it, what I was talking about. It's almost like the chain. It's the same as the chain of poverty, where you have to depend on that forever. And then you live in the fear I was talking about of coming out of it. Because even when you have the opportunity to come out of it, you don't want to come out of it because you're like, I'm so used to this. So if the policies could be changed a little bit in a way that there is that permanent solution, uh, maybe, you know, giving options for education, even just trade skills and that kind of stuff that would help because uh, here in the united states this is one of the most rich countries in the world there is resources to do that the same amount of money we can give people every month uh, just to survive 
from the social uh, from from the social t- of, of from the social security or from from the taxes that we tax people and then give them t- to this other group it, the same amount we can use that to bring out uh you know like opportunities for work and stuff what if for example if if i was a mayor of of a city here or something i would say i would tell every person that depend on the government is that hey look for a job look for something i'll give you probably a shelter somewhere to live for a, for one year no taxes for one year no whatever any obligation for one year until you get up on your feet that's like that's a good form of sponsorship where this person there are people who would want that there are people who would be like absolutely i don't want handouts i don't want to be given i want to work i want to feel valued i want to feel appreciated i want to feel part of the community because these handouts and everything it even makes it worse in the mental capacity what i was talking about in feel reality complex and lack of confidence that's where it comes from um but if you are supported and then you are let okay here you are we've done everything we can just now continue i'm not sure if that that, that there is anything like that but I, that's what i how i would do it if uh, from from a political science perspective if i had the yeah. opportunity to bring something like that you know it's to support someone for a specific period of time and then give them the opportunity not to be obligated by anything don't worry about because that's the fear people have um it's once you have that address home address that's it mm. you know once you have yeah. the home address you feel like now you 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 have so many obligation of um uh, you know life might become even tougher than what it was before when you are depending on the government so those government projects would help a lot if it they were approached in a, a sustainable way where people can get out of poverty because the poverty here what i talked about i was talking about extreme poverty but the poverty that we have here is more mental than more social and me- me- mental than uh, than than material we have the material stuff we have everything yeah but yeah what we have here is like just trying to approach it in a different perspective yeah 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 interesting do you think in the once so this might be going a little bit outside of the yeah. the topic of of poverty <laughs> but it's connected yeah do you what is the connection between because this seems to be a universal whether we're talking about uh uh Kenya or whether we're talking about America yeah. what seems to be the connection between uh generational or cyclical poverty mm-hmm. uh and family breakdown because yeah. you, you mentioned we don't have to go into detail in your story but you mentioned that uh it sounds like your father was out of your life for a while but then yes. there was some reconciliation yes. um and whenever you look here in in the states uh, you see that uh, there's an obvious direct correlation. Wherever yes. there is uh, there is poverty here in the states, mm-hmm. there's family break, breakdown, um, yes. and, and that go that transcends any ethnic barriers as well. That that's that's uh, poor white communities, that's poor mm. black communities, poor mm-hmm. communities anywhere. What what's the connection between those? Because yeah. I think that's that's kind of a mystery to a lot of us here in America. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. There is a great connection there. Um, you know, when you have two parents of two people bring in um, some resources in a family, uh, the burden is a little bit less. There is that burden that people are able to encourage one another. Uh, there is that peace. There is that assurance of uh, we have a family. But also, if there, if it's only one parent uh, trying to take care of five kids just like my mom did then it makes things worse because the burden then becomes even worse if there is only one income in the family especially depending on where you are living at um it it you will never move on you'll never move from one you know one step to another actually you might even be going moving down because of uh, um uh, the way things are going uh, when it comes to inflation, 
So if you're earning $40,000 and your husband was earning $50,000, that's $90,000. If you separate or if that person is no longer there, your $40,000, including the inflation, then if you are depending on $90,000 previously, and now you're at $40,000 or maybe fifty or whatever, and then including the inflation on it, it makes things worse. And that's where depression comes in. That's where hopelessness comes in. That's where anxiety comes in because you are, you are, you are, you're just moving, trying to make sure that the deadlines for the bills, you know, are not, you know, they are coming. So you can imagine how much poverty causes even some of social impact we are seeing today with depression. Most of that is because of running up and down and, you know, the, all the anxiety we have and, you know, why? Because you're like, I'm alone. And also that loneliness of family breakup and, and, and some kind of uh, embarrassment and some kind of a stereo, stereotype that people look at you, you are ostracized by the, you know, by the community, by friends, by, so it changes so much in your, in your, in your, in your, in your, in your psychology and in your mind that it causes you to start, start thinking, start having depression or the anxiety. You're thinking about the children. It doesn't matter whether you, you, are, you have, um, you, you know, it doesn't even matter whether sometimes you, you, have, you have something like, uh, you know, a good, you're earning better money at the end of the year because you also have that mental po- poverty where you are not stable. Uh, and so... Family breakup is, is, you know, breakout and breakup, whatever. It's, it's, it's a big deal that causes poverty. You know, lack of one parent, one, as another parent in the family or a leader or a head of the family or something or someone who, if you have like the boys, they need someone there to mentor them. If you have the girls, they need someone to mentor them who understand, you know, to become, uh, you know, a, a girl, you know, like what are things that you will go through and that kind of stuff. Someone they mm-hmm. can sit down, so, someone that a girl can sit down and be vulnerable with and open up. Someone that a boy can sit down and be vulnerable and open up some of the things that they are going through. So if we don't, they don't have that foundation, then it becomes very confusing and uh, poverty continues being a cycle because, you know, like, those children in that family, that's what they will only know. That's, this is the exposure we have. This is how life is supposed to be. And this is how maybe, you know, they don't even have idea, any idea or even a vision of how they can come out of it. And that's, that's what we call cycle of poverty is even lack of ideas of, because you've never been exposed to something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's certainly some uh, some big complex issues, right? And there's <laughs> and, and you know there we, we, we can point to so many uh, I don't know uh, crossovers and intersections of issues. You know, yeah, uh, the poverty, then the the family, and um, you know the the uh, substance abuse issues that come along with. Mm-hmm. Uh, depression, anxiety, and uh, yes. the, the moral issue, just everything else. There's, there's so much to it, um, you know, but praise God that we have, uh, we have a Savior who can overcome it all, bring healing uh, to it all, uh, that we're equipped with his message, and that, uh, and that if we focused on what you talked about very early on in the conversation, to bring the kingdom, right, to spread the kingdom, yeah. understand that, that brings true liberation, and then with that, empowering people to become the men and women that God uh, designed them to be, well, then, um, then with that plan, we can't fail, right? That's true. Uh, Absolutely. And just keep doing our best while God has us on this earth. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, David, yep. we, have, uh, we have gone through our time. I just want to thank you so much again for, for joining us on this episode of Filter, talking to us uh, about yes. your story and your perspective on poverty. Uh, and what, uh, and the work that compassion does, I want to encourage everybody who has watched or listened to this episode to at least go and check out compassion, look at the work that they're doing on their, uh, on their website in, uh, dozens and dozens of countries 
around the world, uh, they truly stand tall above uh, many other groups that are doing this for the reasons we talked about in this episode. Uh, Maybe you're already a sponsor and this will inspire you to sponsor someone else. Right. Uh, Let us all uh, shoot for radical generosity. So once again, go to Compassion's website and consider sponsorship. Uh, They also gave me a, uh, a, a link that listeners of this show can go to to sponsor. And that is C I N T L. So a, uh, abbreviation of compassion international C I N T L.us slash Aaron champ. So that's C I N T L.us slash Aaron champ. If you go to that link, you can get information and start up your compassion, uh, sponsorship and, uh, and they'll know that you got to listen to David's story where you sign up through that link. Awesome. So, uh, David, I want to thank you so much once again. Um, yes. I'm going to be linking to Compassion and to um, that. I'm going to include that special link in the descriptions beneath this on YouTube and on podcasts, as well yes. as in the show notes. So all you guys can get access to that. Uh, share David's story. Tell other people about Compassion so that uh, we can spread, uh, help Compassion and their work to spread the kingdom around the world. Yes. So, uh, David, once awesome. again, I want to thank you for joining us today on Filter. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate you. Uh, may God bless you with the work you're doing. Uh, and I hope so many people will go out there. Please subscribe. Uh, there's great stuff out there. Thank you so much, Aaron, for what you're doing. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AaronMChamp. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.